I would say that was probably my most defining moment in college was just coming back from that and having stepped into an environment where people uh, lived such vastly different lives, but really being able to kind of step into that life and see and, and gain empathy and see life through through their eyes and, and develop those relationships. I, I, I think all of my, my classes afterwards, I, I felt like I framed my view of life through my time in Chicago. It really felt like one of these 9-11 moments. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like this, this altered my track. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to Episode 6 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that looks at a normal workaday life and seeks to find within it all the lessons, gems, and opportunities for growth and adventure that can be contained within it. And that's really the subject of this week's episode, featuring Josh Gibson. This episode is a little bit different than the previous five because I have a long history with Josh. Now, I did as well with, say, Cliff Fonseca episodes four and five because I trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with him when I was 19 years old. And yet, we hadn't seen each other in a a great many number of years, so this was more like a, a meeting up again. Whereas with Josh Gibson, I lived with him about the halfway point of college. We have a long history that includes years of of friendship, and I went to his wedding, and, and all those kinds of things. And what's interesting about these types of interviews is when you know someone that well, it's almost like you can frame their path even in a different way. Because it's less about outside looking in, and it's more about knowing more details and going from there. So I have recorded many interviews with friends from college or around that time, and all of those people have begun as 19-year-olds that were brand new to many of the things in life, and now they have all done really interesting, different, and varied things. My dorm in college did not have any designated major, which meant that anybody and everybody could be there, any and every major. And the friendships that we made included people from a variety of different backgrounds. So anytime I have one of these friend interviews, I will make that known. I'll call it, I guess, the friend series. And Josh is quite the interesting person. Josh's official work title is that he is the marketing manager for Tennessee State Parks. So if you've seen any of the digital, online, social media content for the state parks in your search to go hiking, perhaps, in Tennessee, you might have seen some of his handiwork. Josh is a 
focused, dedicated student of life, an outdoorsy person, and he recently became a father. In fact, his daughter, which is featured, the one of the topics of discussion is, is becoming a new father. And at the time of recording, she was six months old, and she now just had her first birthday. In addition to that, we really go into the moments in his life, which were huge game changers for his own personal growth. And these moments, in some ways, are are not even necessarily related to each other, other than they are unified by travel and how going to a different place and another context and another circumstance can be the very thing that really opens our mind to a million different things. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Josh Gibson here on Epic Ordinary Lives. I am sitting with a friend of, I want to say eight years, Josh Gibson. Nine years. Nine years. 2007. That's right, because it was in my sophomore year, or actually the beginning of my junior year of college. That is correct, yes. And you transferred. Did you try? That's right, isn't it? No. Well, I mean, I was in community college oh, in high school. That's because you were so ahead of the game that you were taking college courses while in right. in high school. I guess. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yes. Uh, but yes, I was a I was a, a freshman uh, coming into MTS. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a good place to start. I think we have a, a really kind of a funny origin story. And so I can give, you know, I can set the framework for how we met you because again, there wasn't any reason for you and I to ever meet. And yet we're still friends after nine years. Uh, There were more reasons for us to never have been in the same room. And yet, you know, I've been to your wedding. I helped you move. You've helped me do things. We've been there for each other for a long time. And yet again, it was almost by complete accident. Sure, sure. So the origin story of our meeting happened at Scarlet Apartments, I guess, at MTSU. Two other friends, Ben Dawson and Zach Reeves, by the way, hi, Ben and Zach. We were all moving in together along with a third roommate, or I guess in this case, a fourth roommate, who at the last minute actually canceled. So it was a four person, one of those community like two sides share the same bathroom kind of thing we hoped at the time so we find we found out 24 hours before we're beginning that this roommate is canceling and we're like maybe they'll just let it be the three of us like we were so hoping we're like man we don't want a random new person that we don't know we've been friends for years we really hope we don't get anybody else and that night that was a saturday and that night we went to Buffalo Wild Wings and watched an Ultimate Fighting Championship because I love Ultimate Fighting Championship. And then went to bed super late. You know, those go from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. And then <laughs> we went to bed late and we were awakened by a mom that walked in and said, Hey, um, we're my son will be living with you guys and we're moving in right now. So if you want to pick up, what was that like for you? Cause you had a horrific 
maybe talk about your dorm situation prior to that. Yeah, my my Saturday night. Uh, as a, as a freshman, you don't often get to live in in Scarlet Commons, but uh, I was able to secure a room there and um, was was moving into a second or third floor apartment on the other side of of this group of six or eight uh, apartment buildings and uh so i was in one building on the other side of a of a shared quad area and didn't know my my roommates that i was moving in with and uh, as we were moving in and getting to know people it became apparent that they had made some lifestyle choices that were maybe inconsistent with <laughs> with what i would uh they they smoked a lot uh, smoked a lot of different things. Yes, and, things uh, <laughs> that would not be kosher yeah. in a legal perspective. Right, right. So yeah, it was it was hard. I, I am an asthmatic, and so that that made it uh, difficult to to think about the prospect of of spending my first year of college living with people who would be participating in those types of activities. The the apartment was already smoky, and it wasn't uh, twenty four hours in. Uh, so I did stay the first night that Saturday night in that apartment, and uh, it was really probably one of the worst nights. Uh, of my life, especially up to that point, there was a real sense of hopelessness there. We had emailed the apartment staff and in MTSU's housing office, and they they helped us secure uh, some places. They said there there really weren't room availabilities. I mean, they they were kind of maxed out, and so they would try to find something. And and sure enough, the fourth roommate of Scarlet 232 decided not to uh, <laughs> not to come to, to MTSU that year, so there was an opening, and it was the only opening that was available, and they took us over early, early Sunday morning, brought a master key, and let us in the living room and said, look and see if this looks like a place that you'd feel okay, <laughs> and uh, of course, <laughs> the three guys living there didn't know that we were coming in, or I don't even know that they knew that we did come in. Uh, they were all asleep from the oh, yeah, UFC no, fight zero, the night before. Zero knowledge of that. <laughs> it's probably six, seven in the morning. And uh, when we're doing this and I walk in and the living room smells good. Somebody had been burning a candle, which I'm pretty sure we weren't supposed to have. That's against code. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, with that, that's <laughs> only hypothetically that someone was... Right, you, right. Maybe, there may like, or may not have been a candle yeah. burning. And and there were, there were movie posters all on the wall of movies that I could relate to. I specifically remember the 300. Uh, poster on, on the living room wall and thinking, yeah, I think I could live with these guys. It doesn't smell like pot and it, it they seem to, to have similar interests to me. So we decided to jump on that bandwagon and we came back a couple hours later with, with my stuff. I carried it down the three flights of stairs mm. on the one side and carried it across the lawn and back up three flights of stairs in the new building. And that's when we met Aaron and, and Ben and Zach for the first time. Uh, Aaron was in an arm sling. He oh. jacked up his shoulder. Wow. That's in uh, that time frame. That was a jujitsu injury. Yes. Technically a judo injury, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were you were injured and, and only uh, able to help move stuff with one arm, but were <laughs> but were very eager to to help move move stuff in. Uh, though I do think there was a level of apprehension from the three of you not knowing who <laughs> who I was or how this whole experiment would would shake out, you know, living with a freshman and three juniors and so what a crazy whirlwind. I mean, this is the first night in college and what you were talking about one of the the most hopeless feelings in the world is like and what I remember by the end of that day I felt really good. Like I felt really pumped about you. By the way, the person that did that canceled on this could be listening. So you're totally cool. Thank you. I mean, I'll, I miss you too, but thank you because it wouldn't have had this friend. Yeah, here, here's a shout out to you. You know who you are. 
you're you had your younger brother and sister there and mom and dad and yeah. we kind of all hung out that day and I think we made supper that night. I think we were all kind of it was it was a different perspective. You know, we're not that much different in age, but when you were 19, is that correct? I was 18. 18. 18. And oh, it was man. only a month 18. <laughs> oh, you just barely <laughs> I just barely turned barely 18. 18. Yeah. I I think I was 22 at the time. Yeah. So am I I'm 3 years Three or four, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it was just this fun kind of thing for us, and we had a we had many adventures. You you were a very clean uh, roommate, and you were very, and that's kind of one of where I want to go next with this is is one of the skill sets slash natures perhaps of you is you were the type of person that when given an assignment, again, I'm sure this extends to other areas of your life. But you would get done something that's due in six weeks that Friday night. And then you would get something done that's due three months later the next night. You you were a machine. And I guess my question is, is this something that was just innate within you, this ability to attack things like that? Or is it more developed? Uh, It was probably, I don't know, it was probably developed. But I mean, I think... I don't know. I didn't like the uncertainty of having stuff looming over me. And I also kind of liked to control when I could go and enjoy life and, and whatnot. So so my my thinking in college was knock this stuff out. So the second half of the semester is a lot easier uh, than the first. And so if I could get major assignments done by fall or spring break and then, you know, take the last two weeks of class off and use all my absences and not have to take a final like that's that was my idea of fun now whether or not that was that was the right way to do it I don't know I mean I was a little bit of a workaholic so you know I don't know if I don't know if it's good to like stack all of your vacation into two weeks or whether or not I should have just kind of spread it out and enjoyed life a bit but uh but I I I do like getting projects kind of crossed off the list and and that's probably a a natural tendency of of mine to just try to I don't know I feel that sense of accomplishment of getting something out of the way sure and that seems to be a very big picture kind of way of of looking at work and like like what you did there extends far beyond what i did when i was 19 and 18 of looking at the entire semester as this big piece rather than you know i'll do my laundry on sunday and i'll complete that project my habits have changed as i've gotten older but you came out the gate with that kind of big picture view yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if that was raising or what it was, but I definitely I do see kind of the system as a whole and, and do like to have the month-long calendar view of, mm-hmm. of stuff and to know that here's where I'm going to wash clothes and here's where I'm going to go to work and here's where, you know, yeah, I mean, I've got six hours here I'm going to study. I'm going to try to knock out this, this, and this so that, you know, nothing surprises me. I, I don't think I had one of those college experiences where you're up at two in the morning trying to finish a project right Uh, and that was really something that i wanted to avoid Uh, i don't know (laughs) that i i do well there i'd rather do a project and then you know do it 95 percent of the way and then circle back around on it the week that it's due and just kind of give it a cursory overview Mm -hmm. and make sure i did everything right and that i haven't learned anything new since i did the project that would affect how this project is done but uh, you know, I'd like to kind of get 
stuff out of the way and just to to review right before it's it's due that's i don't know if that strategy has has continued through life some of that uh, is easier when you have fewer things going on yes so and now you have many things going on which would that we will circle back to you one of the interesting things about you is that despite being this person that is very regimented in attack and looking at the big picture I feel like you've you've had a very adventurous to a certain extent life throughout many periods because you've lived in Chicago for a section again not for a year or, or years but you you've had these vignettes of living in Chicago being in China for a good portion you currently live in East Nashville East Nashville is a little bit like a foreign country. I think. Yeah. That, <laughs> well, there's that definitely customs that are specific. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, definitely, to that, definitely. That um, area. Yeah, it makes it sound like my life's been pretty adventurous. I don't know that I would have thought about it that way, but I think, yeah. I mean, those have definitely been like formative experiences for me. I was, mm-hmm. I was uh, a different person coming back from Chicago than when I went to Chicago, and I, you know, and, and China had a very different experience. Or at culturally like i don't feel like that's still the place that people say they go like it would have been pretty normal for me to go to europe mm-hmm. like, you know and everybody does that and and i still want to but i think going to asia was just like such a, a vastly different experience i was only there for a couple of weeks but uh to see a small city of six million you know like that's wow. it's just it, the scale is just so different there and and life just feels different from from everybody being stacked on top of each other to the way people drive i mean it's like chaos on wheels Mm -hmm. over there uh very different and to be in a place that's not you know in europe i mean there are a lot of those european languages that have and cultures and customs that have affected the u.s and, Mm -hmm. and how we've how we've developed but when you go to asia like it's really a whole different set of languages and experiences and customs that's formed that area. And it's pretty distinct from the customs and cultures here. And so it really is like stepping into a different world. Whereas Mm -hmm. going to France is stepping into a place that the people kind of look like me. They just Mm -hmm. talk differently. But when you go to China, the people don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't live like me. They don't like, they're just totally different historical context for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a rich, deep, long history that, you know, we have a very short history here and they've got thousands and thousands of years of, of Mm. stuff. And, and a lot of what they, you know, I mean, obviously China had an impact on the development of stuff like gunpowder and, you know, fireworks and like these things that are part of our, our lives here it just it just seemed kind of dissonant and and different from from what we have mm-hmm. so and what a what a great thing that is to kind of hurdle yourself into these experiences where there's sort of a, a breaking apart because of all the references the reference points and wh- where you would take things that's one of the value of travel is is that and you actually mentioned that when you were in uh, Chicago you left a different person so if you can date for us what age you you entered that it was during a summer wasn't it it was it was the summer between sophomore and junior year okay for me so i was like 2021 kind of that range yeah so i i went i went uh to work for a, a church that was located pretty close to wrigley field off, off of the kind of the Belmont exit of the the train line there in Chicago, uh, which is a bustling area right now, uh, with the 
with the uh, baseball playoffs going on. Um, the city, I'm sure, is excited. I'm pulling for them as well. But I would say that uh, I went there and I had a very uh, kind of traditional I don't know, traditional Southern upbringing, if you will. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in, in Arkansas and Atlanta and Memphis and, and then moved to Nashville for school. And so pretty much kind of always been in the in the South. And so uh, I went up there and, I, and I, I was working for a church and our predominant uh, focus was in Boys Town and working with some of the, the homosexual, transgender, you know, transvestite, uh, mm-hmm. LGBT there. community. Yeah. LGBTQ, uh, the, the whole, the whole, uh, real gamut there is, is really crazy. I mean, in June they have their, their, uh, pride festival in Chicago and it was 700,000 people packed onto seven city blocks. And wow. most of those city blocks were my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the day after the festival that morning, we went out and helped, uh, other community organizations clean the streets and because the city would clean the main streets but not any of the side streets and just uh just to get out there and, and experience that and um i mean there were lots of things that, that you would see there that would shock you but i thought the shock was good uh you know made some made some really uh good friends i think the funniest story was when we we actually are, had our computer stolen at the church because right? we lived there and 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 worked there and and at some point somebody came in and stole a couple of our laptops and uh, it was it was pretty far through the summer it was maybe late July so we we invested quite a bit in relationships in the city at that point and and uh, it was actually some of the the local uh, prostitutes knew who it was <laughs> who took our computers and helped us track them down. And we we were able to uh, to get to get the computers back while also like managing. We're on the streets at night talking to the prostitutes. This is about awesome. our stolen gear, and and all the while like trying to not look like we're exchanging any goods or services with the <laughs> prostitutes, uh, so that we the cops that are that are quite frequently patrolling the area would not think that we were customers and so uh, yeah, we're, we're, we swear we work for a church I know, so I know, go, right. i'll show you my bed right now right I know. yeah it's not us this is uh, we're, we're not here for that but uh it's just our stolen gear yeah we're here we're here for our computers not anything else <laughs> of course sure <laughs> so i thought that was interesting because it I don't know. It was a little bit of a testament to the relationships that we made and also the types of relationships that we spent our time making were, mm-hmm. were with people who were in some pretty uh, dark places in their lives, but they were like really genuine and available like in terms of like they, they wanted a relationship with people mm-hmm. and, and maybe they're not always the ones that they end up in a lot of superficial relationships. And so they were they were very interested and in, in, but also hesitant to to engage with you because they were they were not accustomed to it but they they had this longing Mm -hmm. to be known um and not used Mm. Um, so that was that was really it was really interesting it was it i would say that was probably my most defining moment in college was just coming back from that and having stepped into an environment where people uh, lived such vastly different lives but really being able to kind of step into that life and see and and gain empathy and see life through through their eyes and and develop those relationships i i I think all of my my classes afterwards i I felt like i framed my view of life through my time in chicago it really felt like one of these 
9-11 moments even, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like this this altered my track uh and and my my view of people so i, I really enjoyed the chicago experience i i, I have a I have a greater understanding and an appreciation for different people because of that time. Mm-hmm. And you said that you framed other challenges like after that differently. Can you just give us an example of what, you know, how did you view something differently under what lens did you look at it that would have been different than the way you looked at it before? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I, I think growing up in the South, you end up with a lot of the kind of, cultural political stereotypes that you that you view life through and i think it really challenged those like Mm. i i think i felt that maybe better understanding and appreciation for people who have different lifestyles than me and and maybe there would have been a more rigid stance Mm. uh prior prior to the time in chicago and kind of learned that you may disagree with people's lifestyle decisions, but that doesn't change the fact that they're people. Mm-hmm. And that, that I think really shifted stuff for me and, and helped me, I don't know, just develop a wide variety of friendships, especially in college. And then, you know, living in East Nashville is, is that's kind of like the whole vibe there is that we're all different and we all have uh different backgrounds and and uh beliefs and stuff so it's a very eclectic kind of environment and i think i appreciate that area i don't even know that i'd live in a place like east nashville if not for having oh interesting gone to chicago if that makes sense let's jump to that let's jump to east nashville in terms of uh you know what what would you say the culture is there because it it does have a very poignant specific I mean, there's, there's great restaurants there and there's a lot of activities, you know, that's where you currently live. What would you say is the, the culture there, the feel of that place? I think it's changed a lot. Um, even over the past couple of years, I think you, you had a tornado come through Nashville in 1998 that, that tore up several thousand homes in the city. And, and a lot of those were in East Nashville. And, and so my understanding, I wasn't there, but my understanding of the history of that area is that up until that point, the the city growth had basically just on the other side of, of I-24 from downtown, you got East Nashville in the 37206 area code. And that was kind of the first suburb, if you will, mm. uh, back. I mean, this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then people started kind of moving a little bit further north, uh, you know, towards Inglewood. And then people moved a little further north than that, Madison, and then a little further north than that to Hendersonville. And that, which mimics urban growth patterns, you know, especially in the, between the fifties and the nineties where people were moving from the cities to the suburbs. And, and you see that growth on the east side of, of Nashville. And so as people moved out of, you know, the, the more urban, areas into the more suburban areas it it kind of left a vacuum and cheaper property values and fewer people wanted to live in those areas and so you had you had a lot of poverty and that's where stuff like the crime would go I mean, you'd have you'd have heavy ethnic uh groups you know populating these areas you'd also have uh, just general poverty right mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just cheaper to live there than the suburbs and the buses were available in the urban areas and not the suburbs and things like that so or when those tornadoes came through and um, those, the people who came in to help with the, the tornado recovery efforts saw cheap, cool, 
old houses and they were they were generally younger people uh, at that time and they were college students or your recent college graduates they moved in and they started they started buying some of these places and fixing them and that's what really kind of jump started East Nashville as you might know it now so you started having people who were those ones who opened some of those businesses in Five Points and uh, but that was still it was still a rough kind of area to live but but it was it was a little bit of, of gentrification that was happening like urbanization uh, that was that was going on but it's still probably at a healthy level um, it had probably swung too far in the poverty direction and so if it's a pendulum it was bringing it back a little bit more centric um, now and especially since about 2010 you really are starting to see uh, a lot more people move into that area and a lot of old homes torn down and new uh, new homes replicating design patterns of of the past, but they're new homes like those are going up or, or they're putting two homes where there used to be one home. And, uh, you start having, uh, you have a lot of young, uh, young working professionals. You also have a lot of young musicians and people who they're not really starting families, but you'll have like a lot of bartenders and people who are, who are working those kind of like hourly jobs that are moving there. And next door, you'll have people who've lived there since 1950 you know, I mean, you'll have, it's very, that's, that's what kind of makes it eclectic is you have like this real strong contingency of people who've been there forever. And then you have people who moved in last week. And so the culture is constantly changing, but in general, it's, it's attracting and, you know, an edgier hipster crowd would be the, the kind of stigma with the area. Sure. Uh, and, and because of all of this, you have a lot of, you have a lot of dissonance and, and such with with people's economic status i mean it's you have property taxes going up because it's becoming a more valuable place to live and because of that you have people who are living on fixed incomes like social security who've been there since the 50s and 60s suddenly finding that they're having a difficult time with keeping their home maintained or what and there are some i think that the city offers some some assistance with with uh, property taxes for people of a certain age but in general it's just hard when the economy's shifting in a neighborhood so much that it's actually forcing people out or or they they get to the point where like they can't really afford to stay but somebody's offering them a ton of money for their house and so they do that and they sell and then they're displaced because they can't afford to buy in the neighborhood again and nashville's becoming so expensive that a lot of these people are having to move miles and miles outside of the city to find something that's comparably valuable and maybe that's um that's not as easily accessible to stuff like bus lines and public right. transit and and support things that that maybe they need in their life so we're really seeing a lot of that kind of these side effects of gentrification that the city as a whole and, and East Nashville uh, especially are having to kind of figure out what it looks like uh, to, to not push the people out who've lived there before, but to kind of coexist together. And isn't that interesting how, how kind of ironic that is that this is sort of the opposite of what happened. So people were before heading to the outskirts for, I guess the sovereignty of having your own, whatever reasons people mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. And then now the folks that it, it's just, it's almost like a flip flop there. It's a cycle. It's very mm -hmm. interesting to watch. And that, I mean, that's true of urban areas across the country, but it's really, I think it's just been close to home and it's a very linear path in East Nashville. that You can kind of see 
the progression, even in just like the housing stock. Like you can see the changes in era the further north on Gallatin Road that you go. You go from from historic 20s, 30s, and then like bungalows in the southern part, in the more historic part of East Nashville too. Yeah, more bungalows and kind of the South Inglewood side. And then you get into some bungalows, but like a lot of ranch homes from mm. the 50s and 60s. And then you get to predominantly ranch homes in Madison. And then you get to more traditional suburban neighborhoods, even in uh, in Hendersonville and, and bigger homes. And you might have a good piece of land. And, you know, it's it's very different to see even just how the housing stock has changed uh, in that linear path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's happened on other sides of the city too. But I definitely think people, people right now see the value in moving back into the city and uh, living and working and partying and playing in the, in the areas, uh, all in kind of the same proximity. And all the positives that come from having such an eclectic blend there. What You talked about partying there. What, let's just go to a lighter topic of what is a restaurant or place there that you particularly, you know, there's a, there's 10 gazillion options over there and there's so many good ones. What's one that immediately comes to mind that makes you want to close your eyes and yeah, um, I, I think that it's become a little bit crowded, and I haven't been recently, and so I, I've heard that maybe the quality has slipped a bit. But uh, the pharmacy is like we were—we wow. were early adopters of the pharmacy, and I think their cheeseburger is one of the greatest creations on earth. Uh, these three different cheeses, a garlic aioli, like on oh my gosh, it's so good, so good, so good. Uh, so I would say the pharmacy. Now that's that's I've not been in a couple months, but. Uh, the pharmacy is the place that we take out of town guests. And I was also an early adopter. I think I've been going since 2012 or 11 or something like yeah, that. Yeah. To piggy bank on your cheeseburger suggestion, I actually love it's the best veggie burger that I've ever had. I'm not even mm. sure if I'm talking about the quote unquote veggie burger, I'm talking about the falafel burger. Chickpeas, mm. you know, it's totally falafel but then i add the i think i add the guacamole and the garlic aioli that you mentioned which is a bizarre combination but it'll change your life but it works it's so it that's what i you know in life you you go to a place and you say oh i should try I should try something else i should try something that i and in some cases yeah yeah do something new try something different in other cases keep eating the falafel garlic aioli guacamole burger yeah and not to mention that place is one of the most beautiful eating areas the the courtyard yeah their beer garden that they they put in right we we went there before they put the beer garden in uh, you know but but yes they've they've definitely done a lot to to enhance like it's one of those places that's great to eat before the weather gets cold yes fall yeah yeah oh yeah fall fall especially because you've the cooler temperatures and and their their beers that they have there, uh, I just feel like lend themselves. There's something about drinking something like that with a little bit of bite in the air, but still nice enough that you can sit out there and without a fire or something and and just enjoy the weather. Uh, you know, sixty degree evenings, perfect. It's what we're in right now, and it's it's beautiful. So. And we should say uh, this episode is not sponsored by the pharmacy, uh, but but if they want the pharmacy, to. yes, exactly. <laughs> if you if, please jump on, I'll even take a, a t-shirt. Like I, I, I will walk around and talk good things about your your burgers. Moving on to some of your other adventures, 
you left Chicago changed, and we sort of are going out of uh, order in terms of your life path, but before you moved to East Nashville, you went to China for a couple of weeks, so just walk us through. I mean, I love to hear what was going through someone's mind when they were landing, you know, when you walk out of the airport, when you enter the airport, so just day one, if you can put yourself back there. Okay, so... We flew from Dulles to Beijing, which is like a twenty-hour flight. I mean, it's, it's so it's so long. I did get upgraded on the way there uh, to business class, which is my first time in business class, and it was phenomenal. And I don't know why they did it, but it was great. I got three hot meals, uh, my own little reclining chair, my own TV, and I learned on the way back that Coach gets. Uh, they don't get three hot meals or their own chair and TV. It's it's a very different experience. They get uh, they get sandwiches and coach, and we got piping hot like risotto, and you know it was awesome. But anyway, uh, so we did that. We fly into Beijing. Beijing Airport uh, had been revamped uh, recently, and I think it was honestly probably brand new additions because uh, we we were there just a couple weeks before the Olympics, and so. Uh, there was a lot happening in the city there to prepare for the Olympics. And so it was a very modern feel. I don't know that I'd ever been in air, in an airport that felt that nice, but partly because it was brand new. I remember the hardest thing was we had an eight-hour layover. And um, yeah, obviously, you've been on a plane for 20 hours, then you have an eight-hour layover. And you're in this, like, the, the hardest thing was trying to buy a drink. Because at this point, all we had was U.S currency and so we had to find a way to exchange money and we understood that the exchange rate uh, was not as good at the airport as it would be in other places they kind of gouge you there but like we finally figured out i mean none of the signs are in english like you know so we we had to find our way to find a place to exchange some money in order to then buy probably bought a coke or something like that you know but uh but anyway that was that was very interesting and then we got on um it was probably Air China, but it was definitely a Chinese flight from Beijing to uh, the su- southeastern portion of the country, where we were going to be for a couple weeks, and and that flight was was a real culture shock. Uh, I, I think that was that was probably that was probably the moment of culture shock uh, because you had at that point you have a very Chinese flight, and so the the that particular culture and i think many asian cultures are uh their lack of personal space is different than and the amount of personal space they have is different than 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 the us or other other western cultures and so uh, i remember distinctly the, the air didn't work well on the flight the guy next to me did not smell like he'd showered i was sitting in a window seat and he's in the middle seat and uh he smelled bad and the plane was was hot and it's in the summer and and so you kind of feel like you're you're in a steamer in this in this plane and then they hand out food and they hand out these these like they look like a frozen you know like a banquet meal or something you'd buy at the supermarket in the frozen section but it was it was fish not like anything I was used to is more like a like a sardine stroganoff. Ooh. Yeah, so that d- did not sound good to me. Right. Uh but it was kind of a pale 
periwinkle <laughs> color. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard periwinkle in 15 years said uh, aloud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, I don't say it very often, but that was not a good experience. So, so like, it's just visually unappealing, palette-wise unappealing, and then with that lack of personal space uh, and, and the way that they consume food there, uh, is they basically pull the plate up to their mouth and they they kind of shovel slurp stuff in with their with their chopsticks and so he he was doing that but over my shoulder. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So so his his like left hand is over my right shoulder and he. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is too much. This was literally too much. I I I got nauseated. Uh, it it was it was rough. I could not eat. Obviously. Uh, and I will say I had much better food the whole rest of the trip, but that plain food and that just whole experience, I kind of feel like typifies the differences, uh, sure. in, in our, in our cultures and our contexts. Uh, and, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the beginning moment and what I felt when I got there. And not to mention that you've probably, did you sleep at all prior to, I mean, you're, you, no, not so really. this is at 28 hours. Yeah. And how long was that flight? That was like an—I want to say it was like an hour and a half, you know. Okay. But yeah, I mean, no, we hadn't we hadn't slept well at all on the plane flight over, and you know, you're changing time zones and like whatever you're gaining or losing a day or whatever it is in there. I mean, it's just you're you're totally discombobulated. Yeah, I when I would go to Germany when I would fly or or fly back, there was often you know that was about an eight or nine hour flight. I feel like which sounds like a baby version of what you did, like clearly. Uh, but that was always hard because you would wake up that morning and you would get to wherever you were going and you would be like, it's nine in the morning and I've been awake for 22 hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in addition, that's what's so interesting about when you have adventures like this is in addition to it being completely a new universe, you're in your most almost psychedelic level of sleep exhaustion and Calorie deficient in this mm -hmm. case because you mm -hmm. didn't want the periwinkle fish, <laughs> reasonably so perhaps. <laughs> so you you get there and uh, what was the I, I can't remember the context. Was this a mission thing? I, um, yeah, we're probably not allowed to say that it was. So we were going to hang out with college students. Okay, <laughs> was the and and we were tourists. That was what our visa said. So we did spend uh, a little bit of time in Beijing doing the tourist thing to to meet the requirements of our visa. But yes, we were there to hang out with uh, with with college students and and hopefully yeah have some missions opportunities there. And you spent two weeks there, and you talked about how in Chicago you left. That's what's always fascinating to me. I had Aaron Carson, who is a mutual friend of ours. He was on, and he talked about the Appalachian Trail. And one of the things we talked about is what left with you after you got off the trail. So if if Chicago, I mean, what a great story you gave, by the way, with Chicago. That's so awesome. But then did it anything? Obviously, that's a shorter period. But what do you leave with there? Yeah, I definitely it was a shorter period. Uh, I had the opportunity to, to spend um, most of my time with one uh, male Chinese student at this at this university. And uh I don't know. It was it was interesting to just be able to talk through a different cultural thing. I mean, I just learned so much. I mean, I went and did Chinese karaoke. I, you know, I mean, it was just. Would you sing? 
Oh, I, I'm sure they sing a lot of like Britney Spears and Kiss from a Rose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they sing a lot of like old, old you know, older 80s, 90s uh, American pop tunes. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did some Justin Timberlake or something. Mm. But uh, but that's fun. And and uh, anyway, I, I remember him saying something to the effect right before we left. He was really sad that we were leaving and and that we were going to have to come home. And he said that he he'd never had the opportunity to meet Americans, but that he uh, felt like he had developed a strong friendship for us and, and, and with us and had a, and was going to miss us. And I don't know. I, and it, it was, it was much more uh, poetic than that. And I don't, I hate that. I don't remember it uh, verbatim, but it, I just remember that really sticking with me, like the impact that we, that we made their hospitality, but then also just, just the impact that, that we made by spending a little bit of time in somebody else's context and allowing them to, to uh, bring us into their lives was was cool. I, I I really enjoyed I enjoyed that and and I enjoyed that friendship. And we tried to kind of maintain uh, a virtual friendship, but though it's difficult with some of the internet restrictions that that China has, it, it makes it difficult to maintain international friendships there uh, over the internet. But yeah, I, it was just it was really cool to and an honor to be brought into somebody else's life and context so any food there besides uh, you've given us a crazy periwinkle not crazy but different any meals that come to mind that were really good like awesome oh everyone was was so good uh it is a different eating style there and so you do a lot of like uh like if the two of us were going to go eat somewhere we would probably order three or four entrees and then like maybe a, a cup of rice and then these entrees would come out on a lazy susan type you know, spinning spinning uh, yeah. tabletop thing and we would we wouldn't have our own plates we might have that bowl of rice but we wouldn't have our own plate to dish food onto we would just eat it from the center console together you'd spin you'd eat some off of one dish and you know turn it around and maybe i'd eat some off the dish that was closest to you and so uh, that was really interesting to to kind of to share meals uh, that way, I'm sure from a hygiene perspective, that's that's gross. But um, I don't really like tomatoes, but they did do what what amount what they called eggs and tomatoes, and and the egg side of it was really good. I just picked around the tomatoes, but it was it was literally just uh, it was almost like egg done in like egg drop soup, mixed with you know chopped kind of like cubes of of tomatoes, and I don't know if it was like fried or what what they did to to it but it was msg laden i'm not sure but it was awesome we we really enjoyed uh every meal that we had there there is this yeah there's this interesting thing called called stinky tofu which we did not try but it fills the streets it's some sort of like uh kind of streetcar uh sold tofu that i don't know what makes it smell the way it does but it is a very uh different smell than than anything i'd ever smelled before and and to to the american palate definitely smelled nasty uh but it seemed to be a popular food choice for a lot of people so there there were a lot of good things that we ate and there were a lot of like really interesting things that you smelled or had the opportunity to eat that maybe we we did not uh pursue all part of the fun yeah yeah of of all of that the the craziness and the the adventure of it when I was in Europe, they have festivals for everything over there. You know, I was in there from 
uh, sophomore in high school until senior, and then I went back during Christmases and summers. But they have a uh, Spargel Festival, which is a it's like the new Spargel. I, I, unless I've got this wrong, and it's been many years since my my vocabulary has suffered, but it's uh, asparagus like new asparagus and there oh. is a festival and a time of the year that is dedicated to asparagus, to asparagus. and it is a big deal <laughs> and it i don't necessarily love asparagus i love a lot of vegetables asparagus does not make that list really of my top five or ten but the joy and the celebration mentality of celebrating asparagus I mean, what a wonderful, I, I don't know that we do that. We have our own versions here of 4th of July and Halloween and different things, but they have more and it's kind of, there's a fun uh, quality to that. Uh, the, just the celebrate, looking for a reason to celebrate. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. That makes sense. But you, you return and you, you've had many adventures and moments in your life, but one of the most recent, huge, massive changes for you uh, and anybody <laughs> is that you just became a father. I did. Yes. Uh, six months ago. Golly, it's already six months. Yeah. You speak. What, what, what is that like? It is, it is pretty awesome. I, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed our little, we had a daughter and, and I've, she's a blast and I don't know, we had a, we had a difficult time uh, getting pregnant uh, and, and maintaining pregnancies. And so the fact that this one um, was successful and uh, over, I mean, it took three years to get there and I don't know. I think because of that, maybe I appreciate her more, but I think I had maybe some expectations of, of it, of it being more difficult than it, it would be to, to have a baby, um, the sleep deprivation or just the ability to connect, uh, with, with a child, especially as the dad, uh, like, I don't know. You just hear things like that. Sure. And I don't know. I mean, it really is that first time they smile at you and the first time they, uh, they laugh that, uh, I don't, I don't know. You're like, well, this is, this is not as hard. I mean, it's a hard thing but it's not as hard as I thought it would be. And it's, it's a good type of hard. Like it's a hard that I'm glad that we're going through. It's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, even today coming here, I mean, right before I left, she's just wakes up with a, a demeanor that I don't have. I mean, she, she is, it's not even like an active, like I'm ready to go. It's like, I'm happy and mm. I am giggly and just when she when you walk in to get her out of the crib after she's been crying and she her face just lights up in recognition which is not uh that's a learned thing for them they don't recognize you obviously right as they come out and i don't even know that they really understand the world but there is this point where they start to recognize you that's really cool uh and and when they do then it's like every time they see you it's it's this new and joyful experience for them. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the to be around those kind of vibes of someone who is not yet under the weight of both gravity and time and stress and yeah. bills. And that's really cool, the sense of not a I'm roaring and ready to get out the door because I have espresso, but a sense of like a peaceful happiness mm -hmm. when she mm -hmm. wakes up. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and it is energizing to kind of to see the youthful, you know, vigor or whatever mm -hmm. that people talk about. I mean, she's really, 
unhindered by 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 anything uh, you know other than her ability to to walk you know like that's but she doesn't even know that that's holding her back right she doesn't even know that that's uh the next milestone for her she doesn't yeah. know what's what's coming and it's it's interesting to know what's coming for her and see her like there are all these growth milestones for kids and and we've been reading about them and and as they're as they're coming we we are anticipating them but she's not and so it's really interesting to as a as a third party to be outside of her and watching her start to wrestle with these these things where she like realizes that her hands exist <laughs> and you know this is coming but like but she she goes through this period where where she learns about her hands and and it scares her at first and then like she learns how to start manipulating things with her hands and it's hard and she'll cry and uh, but you're you're outside of it and you're saying like this is really basic. You're going to get through this and you're going to be better for it. And I feel like there are a lot of lessons uh, in, in my life that I can apply, uh, you know, from these things I'm learning from her, I can apply them to, to truths in my life as well. Uh, just about hard things are often good things, you know, mm. just because I don't see, I didn't see it coming and I don't see the end. doesn't mean that there's not some sort of plan or something outside of me. <laughs> that that there is an end or or that this this i mean it's supposed to happen to everybody like everybody has to grow this way uh, i just have to grow through it and let this change me in a positive way that's profound uh, the notion that we don't see where the next milestone is and i guess the next milestone could be uh, a hurt or a uh, tornado similar to what happened to but even that brought with it uh some kind of some interesting positive things so you mentioned that this in some ways d did not turn out to be the way you thought it would in a, in a positive way. So th are there any other things that you thought it would be blank and it became any other examples of that, of areas you were surprised? I don't know. It was, it was, I think interesting to think through how, how the two parents would, would, interact through a process and, and not really knowing what that would look like. And then like I fully expected to hear the stories about staying up late at night and, you know, just not getting any sleep. And like, I've been fortunate, like my wife has done a lot of that and, and she, she's empowered me to, to go to work and to, to get enough sleep to do that. And so I, I thought that that just figuring out like the roles and responsibilities in raising a child has been has been interesting. Um, I also didn't think I'd have the opportunity to to watch her one on one as much as I do. But now that my wife has gone back to to nursing part time, like there are a lot of uh, weeknights where from six to midnight, I'm I'm watching our our baby and I'm doing the bedtime bath and the you know sometimes bedtime feeding and and putting her down and like those just really kind of sweet times that I didn't. Mm. It's not as much of a of a burden as I thought. Uh, it's only a burden in the sense that, like, sometimes I'll look up and I'm like, "Oh man, it's nine thirty, and we just finished like all of her things." Like adding a third person to it means that like the nights just blow by, and suddenly you're like, "Wow, I just I gotta iron my clothes and get ready for bed." Like there's just not a not a lot of time left in in, in the day after doing some of that. So maybe that's also another one where just the the level of responsibility and how fast time flies uh, has become more apparent as well. I think that's something we lack as adults 
especially those of us that are not that in what I mean by that is getting lost in in hours like forgetting and you can get there it's a place you can i mean you you're there you have to be there like this this is a a place that you you go to but that losing the sense of time flow and realizing that three hours you know that flow they call it a, a the the sense of flow but that's a good place to live yeah it's pretty fun actually to not i don't you know i mean all those hours are accounted for and and they're really like blocked in and budgeted into my day right like i i know that those things are going to be coming up but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like one to four thirty at work where you're like oh my gosh it's 245 when is the when is quitting time going to come like i really don't often feel like that in the evenings at home it's like wow okay i mean yeah there's there's no extra time but that was really fun the past three hours trying to do dinner and bath and you know at the point that we start doing bedtime stories bedtime stories oh cool things like that so you mentioned that you it is work and it you mentioned it wasn't as hard as you thought it would be but it is hard but you said it's a good hard like it's good work so can you just speak more on the topic of of good work or positive work in your life or or in the context of of your daughter or however because that's an interesting for something to be hard but be right yeah, I mean, I think that most things in life that are valuable and that you ultimately come to appreciate are hard things. Uh, I just think, I mean, you see that in life outside of humans. I mean, you see that with the creation of diamonds. Like, I mean, that's the pretty common analogy is that uh, a diamond is formed through pressure, right? Um, through pressure on coal. And so uh, I think that's true of, of our lives as well, That that a lot of the hard things in life are the things that that form you. Uh, and, and so I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I think marriage is that way. I think having kids is that way. Um, that, that if you're not, if something's not hard for you, you're not challenged. If you're not challenged, you're not growing. So I, I don't know, maybe there's a direct connection there where you could say that good work is hard work or that hard work is good work, whatever. But, uh, I, I, I think I've found that to be the case that I've enjoyed work the most when it's, when it is challenging and, and hard, maybe not impossible, but hard. Beautiful, beautiful. The last question that I'll, I feel like we could go in any number of directions. And if you want to, I'd love to do a part two sometime. Sure. Last question for this episode. What, cause I met you when you were 18 and now uh, what nine years later we are sitting here and I, I met you days after you turned 18 and now we sit here and you have a family you've been on many an adventure uh, you work for the state park uh, association uh, d- department the department of yeah. and that's a whole area I kind of intended us to go but we can do that at a different time what advice would you give your 18 year old self now looking back yeah i i think i don't know i think there was a lot of uh anxiety about life like getting to life getting to the point where life would would start and maybe that was some of my drive for getting uh school projects done is because like school just felt like this this step to life happening and um I enjoyed a lot of a lot of school, but I think I would tell my 18 year old self to 
enjoy more of it. You know, I worked 30, 35 hours a week in school and I, you know, I took 18 hours of class. I took some classes that were bogus and like my wife's a nurse and, and she took much more difficult courses than I did. Uh, but I, I, I do think I missed out on some things with as busy as I was. Uh, and, and maybe I don't stop and smell the roses as much as I, as I should. I think I could have done more adventures and I think there was an opportunity for that. And, and sometimes I'd let a couple hundred dollars be the difference between, or, you know, the discouraging factor for not doing an adventure. And now I look back and I say, I don't have the time that I, I did then to do some of those things now. And uh, maybe the money's there, but the time's not. And I think probably uh, time is the harder thing to come by. Mm -hmm. And I probably wouldn't regret now if I had, a few more student loans, but had done some of those adventures. More scars and <laughs> yeah. stories. Yeah, exactly. So that would be my advice, I think. Well, that's where we're going to stop. Thank you so much for doing this. Anything you want to put out there just as a final, any, I, I don't know if you need to promote anything or any, any final <laughs> parting words? No, I appreciate you bringing me on here. And I, I hope that uh, as, as people's, um, pursuit to to have no weekend wasted that they will uh as you mentioned i work for state parks i hope that that you will you will get out there and enjoy some of the natural uh opportunities that exist for you to 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 rest and and recuperate and and seek adventure uh, outside in in nature spe specifically uh in tennessee that would be that would be great for us and uh so we have 56 of them and they have overlooks and waterfalls and uh, you know, fishing holes and some of them have hunting grounds that are connected to them. And so there's, there's kind of something for everybody. If you're a climber, if you're a hiker, whatever, uh, just get out there and find your adventure uh, in a natural setting. And actually I was at Foster Falls yesterday, which is one of your parks. And again, these are within reach. It's just, as you said, there is something out there that you've, you've not seen unless you've been there. Gorgeous waterfalls, Perhaps not in the fall season, but there are things that are absolutely beautiful. There is cold water to be jumped in, if you're me. And th there are wonderful things that require the gas to get there. There are great events that you have, weekend trips and things that you can sign up for. Well, and to, and to your point, there's a, there's a state park within 30 minutes of everybody in Tennessee. Booyah. So get out there and find yours. Any website? TNStateParks.com. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for listening. Y'all have a good one. Thank you so much for listening. I really believe that his talk about how the, the notion of hard work being good work is something that I have continued to grapple with because we recorded that many months ago as well as the notion of with his daughter, how he can see the milestones in her life that she's not aware of yet, many of which can be scary at the beginning, and he knows that she's going to be okay, but she doesn't know that. And, and the fact that he can look at where she is on the path and go, you know, this is completely normal to feel this way, but you're going to be fine. How many times do we really view our own lives in that lens. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I can say that challenges, closed doors, 
things that look like unwanted aspects can I guess just be wherever we are on the path. And it's the path of our own personal hero's journey, which means any quote-unquote failures can often just be really good fuel or they become fuel or they were always jewels in the first place. How many things years ago that looked like such a bad thing have turned out to be such a good thing now? If you want to support the the project, again, right now, the, the easiest way to do it, and I know it's tricky, it, it's to write a review on iTunes. If you have an Android phone, of course, and, and you do have a computer, you could always create an iTunes account and, and do it that way. If you do have an iPhone, you can write a review. And I know that that is tricky because I listen to a gazillion podcasts and I have not reviewed all of them. Because it, it's it's tricky. you got to click a bunch of buttons, and you probably have to log in or create a login. I get it. I completely understand. But again, if you do want to support this work, that is just so deeply appreciated, and it, and it, it increases the rankings of Epic Ordinary Lives within iTunes, and thus increases the ability that it could get recognized from people that don't have any interaction with the guests or myself, just people that just find it. The bottom line is thank you for coming on this journey with me of creating this project. It's been something that I've always wanted to do, and I'm glad to be doing it right now. I will be back next week with another conversation from an ordinary person who's living an epic life. So until then, have a great day.